the pastor, and it is really just a great opportunity to be together. My family's been out for a little vacation. If you prayed for us, thanks. If you didn't, it's okay, because we had one on vacation. So it was fun, and uh, appreciate all that. Really glad that you're here with us today. We really have a very special Sunday, and whether you recognize that and knew it ahead of time or not, um, I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. I hope that by the time we're done this morning, you'll be able to say also, I'm thrilled that I came, because really God's got some amazing things that we're going to talk about. Um, The first thing is, in the pew in front of you, there is something called a connection card, and if you would just grab that even now and begin to fill that out, we ask everybody to do that, and at the very end of our service, after the message, after the final song, or during the final song, we have a time of an offering, and you can place that card in the offering. Just let us know, especially if you're here for the first time or or among the first few times you're visiting with us. Man, we really want to get to know you better. Uh, If you let us know about that, that'd be a great thing. Uh, It's a way that you can communicate with us with prayer requests and and stuff like that. And also when you came in, you received a bulletin. And I know a lot of us come to church week after week. We get the bulletin. You stick it in your Bible. Sometimes you don't always read it. Good information in there. I don't want to insult your intelligence by reading it to you, but I do want to remind you to take a look at this and pay attention to some things. There is one announcement I want to give you that's actually not in your bulletin, and that is that on Wednesday, August 28th, and now that's not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday following, 10 days from today, uh, there's going to be a special celebration uh, at at the building that that houses our 180 youth ministry, and that's over by the shopping mall over there by the Giant Eagle, if you know where that is. And so uh, 10 years, the ministry under the name of 180 uh, has been in existence, and there's going to be just a great big celebration, and all of you are welcome to come and celebrate, and really they are just going to kind of roll out the carpet for, for all of us, for the whole community for that matter, just to kind of let everybody know what's going on, not just in the youth ministry, because our single adult ministry, the well, is housed there as well. There's a lot of other things that go on in that building, so from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., everybody is invited Wednesday, August 28th, to the 180 building, and then there'll be the regular youth service to follow. You're welcome to stay for that or not, depending on what you prefer, but from 6 to 7 at the 180 building, that'll be something to mark your calendars for as well. Not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. Two weeks from today is September 1st, and September 1st kind of marks the beginning of the fall season. So we've all kind of had fun through the summer. The summer break portion, if you're a student or you have students, is winding down, and we kind of crank up a lot of new classes and whatnot. And one of the things that we have available for you, and it's actually in your bulletin, uh, we have 9 o'clock training hour classes. We invite everybody to be a part of that. And here you have the description of all the classes that are available. And on the back of that is a place where you can sign up. Now, you don't have to sign up to come to the class, but we really encourage you to so that we can kind of plan for the the study materials that we'll prepare for you. So whether there's going to be 30 people or 100 people in a particular class, we kind of like to know ahead of time. If you know, if you can look at that list and decide quickly what class you want to be a part of, you can just fill that out and put it in the offering plate when it passes. You've got another week to do that. If you want to pray about it and think about it, you can always fill it out and drop it off at the Welcome Center out front. That's another way that you can do that. But look over that list, pray about it, decide where you think would be great for you. If you don't currently take advantage of the 9 o'clock training hour, let me just say you're missing out. There's some great stuff that's been going on and uh, really invite you to come and be a part of that. One week from today, next Sunday, August 25th, every year at the end of the summer, we have Summer's End Celebration. Woo, celebration, we're going to celebrate And really the focus of the Summer's End celebration year after year is our children's ministry and our youth ministry. And so all summer long on the other side of this wall, our children's ministry has been hosting summer fun. And they've been learning verses and they've been learning about 
people in the Bible, superheroes has been the theme, and, and the kids will come in here and they'll share stuff with us, and it'll just be a wonderful day of celebrating what God's doing in that ministry. But also, I know it seems like a long time ago, but our, our teens went to youth camp back in June, and we're going to also highlight that. And so we'll have kind of from the youth on down highlighted in next week's service. And just to kind of make it right, we're going to have a picnic after it's all done out in the backyard. So please come prepared for that. Again, the details of that are in your bulletin. There's details about how you can be sure you bring chairs, blankets, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and something to eat with you. And how you should do that is written in here. So please know that and uh, take advantage of that. Now, with kind of the wrapping up of August and the summer break portion, uh, I refuse to say summer's over until September 21st. As we enter into September, okay, we do have some new things coming up. And it's my privilege to introduce to you Paul Hutchison. He's going to come up here because in our adult life group system, now almost all the adult life groups have been functioning, currently are functioning. Uh, really only family life life group for uh, couples with younger children uh, has been kind of taking a break for a while. But we have a new life group that's going to be kicking off in first week of September. So Paul's going to come and tell us about that. All right, well, I know that um, in my experience, I've talked to not a lot of people, but a, a handful of people who have felt like some of the existing life groups don't necessarily fit them right where they're at. And I'm excited about this life group. Again, the open door is an open door of ministry out to the world, but it's an open door to all of you who maybe have felt like I didn't fit in some of the existing groups. And so uh, please take advantage of that. Please consider your schedule in the middle of the week that this could be a priority. It'll really be a blessing to you. All right, let's all stand up and just take a few minutes and greet those around us. Let's find our places and uh, have a seat and get started. Well, I mentioned to you earlier that this is a special Sunday and um, similar to next week, which will be another special Sunday. Um, I guess they're all special in their own way. Um, today, we kind of want to recap some of the things that God's been doing in and through this church over the summer. And again, next week will be for the, for the younger members. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to take this day and clear off a space and just talk a little bit about how God has been working in and through us, most specifically in doing our part to help fulfill the most important, one and only focused key commandment that he left us before he left this earth, the great commandment. That we would be a part of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. And this summer has been a summer like that. And for example, when my wife and I took off a couple of weeks ago. We went to the Dominican Republic, and many of you may remember that last year we raised $50,000 to help that ministry. That ministry had their 10-year ministry anniversary, uh, and I was a part of that celebration and preached for them for that, and uh, we got to tour the facilities, and, and there'll be a time I'll show you some pictures later, but uh, it's exciting to see what God's doing in that ministry in the Dominican, and they're so thankful for our partnership together here at First Baptist Church, but there's been several other trips that different members from this church have had the opportunity to go on. And what we're going to do is we're going to hear from some representatives from each of those trips. And, and basically, there, there's a group, two different groups, that ended up in Peru, and then there's another group that went to Mongolia. A lot of you probably remember about that. So we're going to kind of start with Peru and the groups that came uh, that went to, to minister in Peru. And just so you know, our, the missionary that we support, David Gardner, in Peru hosted each of these two 
uh, groups of teams. The first was a group of three young adults who went for a month-long internship, and after that there was a very large medical missions team as well that got to go uh, for that. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of kick off the time and watch a short video about Peru, and then uh, Josh Miller is going to come up and talk about his internship. This summer uh, for the month of June. Uh, it was myself, Ali Axterwicht, and Lexi Flores. Uh, we just want to thank you, first of all, for all your prayers. Um, we had people say when we came back, hey, we were praying for you the whole time, and that just really means a lot to us. Um, that kind of showed you a little bit about what we did. Uh, I just want to tell you a little about um, like what it did in my life, personally. Um, I was going to school. Uh, I was going into my junior year um, in college, studying psychology, I thought I kind of had everything figured out. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do, and I thought I was, you know, where I was supposed to be going. Um, so I went into this. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, it was a month-long internship, so I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, so we got there, and uh, uh, with David Gardner and his family, um, we got to see we got to see his ministry in action. Um, we see videos, and we see uh, just different things. We hear people talk. But it doesn't really hit you the same until you're there and, uh, and you actually experience it and get to be um, just in the ministry, in what they have going on there. Um, and so some of the things we did were pass out tracks. I uh, went on the street and we just had handfuls of uh, gospel tracks that we handed out inviting people to church. Um, and it was cool because we got to see fruit from that right away. Uh, we had people come to church and get saved uh, that we remember from passing out tracks. Um, we went to a church plant and just out in the middle of nowhere in some garage-looking thing, and we got to see um, got to see a church planted there. Uh, we had youth group meetings uh, where we got to get together with <clears throat> with the younger people in the church and uh, get to know them a little bit better. Um, we got to see the the church there and just the eagerness of the people that that live there um, to learn more about God's word. Um, they have a Bible college set up, so they have students that are um, that are learning learning the Bible and training to be sent out. Um, what really was crazy to me is that they're, I mean, we call it the, a mission field that we go to, but um, they had three or four missionaries that they sent out. Um, so they're just, just as excited to leave um, and go tell other people. We met one lady that was there from, uh, from Morocco, um, that was a missionary to Morocco from Peru, um, and so it was just really cool to see that. Um, so they've got leaders being trained up and sent out. Um, and so one of the times we were in, uh, we had um, like a devotional in the mornings. And we'd just get together and sit around and, and we'd talk to David. And we'd, we had a book that we were reading and we were going over that. And, uh, and one of the questions that he asked us that, that kind of, like my whole trip kind of went around that um, he asked us, he said, what is your, what's your current plan or your goals for your life, and, uh, and how exactly does that specifically further the kingdom of God? Like, what are you doing right now? What is, how does your, your plan and uh, what you're doing with your life, how does it do that exactly? And are you being selfish with your plans? Are you being selfish with your life? Um, or are you just giving it up to him and saying, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do? Um, and so that kind of, the whole time I kind of, that was I was revolving around that, and uh, and so it just it 
it came together and it clicked. And uh, and being there and being involved is something that I don't know. I can't really explain it because coming back and trying to tell you about it is really difficult. But um, it just clicked, and uh, God just placed it on my heart that like foreign ministry is really where I need to be. And so coming back, it's just you have a more focused mindset. I mean, you see uh, you see the people there and you see what's going on, and it must be. Uh, it must be God because it's really, really successful. Um, things are going really well down there, but there's a whole lot more to do. Um, there's the city of Lima is millions and millions of people, and very, very few uh, successfully well-trained missionaries there. Um, but there is there's a lot of work to be done. Um, so, yeah, that's um. And so I just wanted to finish up by saying. Uh, just ways that you can pray for Peru and pray for the gardeners. Um, a lot of the time whenever we talked about that, David just, he wanted us to, to pray for leaders to be trained up within the church, but also to be trained up to send out. Um, so if you could pray for that. And uh, he always wanted us to pray for, for more laborers to be sent. I mean, there's so many people there, and uh, there's just, there's not enough well-trained missionaries there. Um, so he wanted us to pray for for more laborers to go to the field and to Peru and to wherever. Um, also to, to bless and expand the Bible College and the ministry they have set up there, uh, which is really great. They've been there for a long time, but um, it's really starting to take off and uh, just explode with people coming to know Christ and, uh, and growing in a relationship with him and sharing with others, and we got to see that firsthand. Um, and so I just really wanted to encourage anyone who's thinking about that, just do it. It's, it's a month but it's it's so worth it. You you see way more and experience way more than anyone could ever come back and tell you about. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Good morning. I'm Andy Worley, and this is my wife, Carla, and we were blessed to be able to go to Peru as well on a medical mission trip, and hopefully we can uh, speak on behalf of our family as well as the rest of the team members who went. Behind us, there'll be some pictures uh, from our trip, and some of those may look familiar from the previous video. But uh, we, Carl and I have had an interest in medical missions for a while, and we prayed about that, and God just never seemed to open a door for us. Uh, until recently, um, our church was, um, had partnered with Medical Mission Outreach a few years ago, and a group from our church went to Africa and had a really good experience there. Uh, medical Mission Outreach is an organization... Uh, led by Bradley Edmondson, and they're currently, uh, they just moved to um, Maryland, Rosedale Baptist uh, Church in Maryland. And their mission statement uh, says really what uh, they do. It says, using medicine as a means to draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to assist missionaries as they plant local New Testament Baptist churches and to point others to the great physician. And this organization does a wonderful job doing that. So we were blessed to be able to uh, join with them. And when we saw that they were going to Peru to uh, assist David Gardner, we thought that was a perfect opportunity, and we just knew God was leading us to, do, to go on that trip. David Gardner is a wonderful guy. He was a crazy-looking guy holding his baby, if you don't know David. <laughs> and uh, you can never relax around him because he's always ready to pull a prank on you, but a uh, wonderful guy, uh, great um, ministry there, and a wonderful family. It was just really good to get to know him better and to spend time with him. Um, so uh, that's uh, who we went with and who we went to serve with. 
Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the people that we traveled with. Uh, there were 13 from our church, and uh, we met up with uh, 25 of us uh, headed out from Ohio, and uh, there were 75 of us in all that uh, met pretty much in Lima and then traveled to Arequipa. Um, the uh, 75 people from um, all over, we had uh, probably about um, 40 students, uh, either college students and a couple high school students and, and our guys. Um, and uh, then we had about 35 adults. And those uh, people consisted of, we had maybe about 8 to 10 doctors. Uh, we had some nurse practitioners. Um, a lot of those students were either um, pre-med students, medical students, or nursing students. And a lot of them were from uh, Bob Jones University. A huge chunk of kids were from Bob Jones. And uh, they were just a joy to be around. Um, everyone was amazing. We had a, a missionary's wife from Peru that was there, um, and uh, she was a nurse. We had someone from Costa Costa Rica, and we had uh, someone from Canada, and so all over America, we had kids from Texas and everywhere, and it was just so fun to to join together with all these uh, people. They were wonderful. Um, From our church, we had uh, Pastor Ryan and his wife, Megan. We had Megan's sister, Erin. We had Dr. Tom Steele, uh, Christine Wrench, and Carol Rothel, and uh, Andy and I and our kids, and I'm going to just tell you a little bit about what um, each of us in our in our group here at our church did in the clinic. Um, Pastor Ryan, Megan, and Aaron, uh, they were with us in the eye clinic, and I'm not sure. Right there, right there, look. <laughs> okay, that's what they did. Um, that's an auto-refractor, and the people first came in and saw them, and they got their prescription. Um, so they pretty much saw all uh, 900 960 people that came in, uh, and then they were kind of sent to uh, sent out to Maddie and I, um, and we would uh, look at the people and, and talk to them a little bit and see what they had a problem with, uh, if it was distance or reading, and we'd have their prescription. And um, if there was a more of a medical problem, like if we saw cataracts or um, tridgiums, um, we would we would put them. <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> we would put them. Um, over in a special place for Andy to take a look at, and he usually, he was our superhero, he usually had a waiting line of about 10 people sitting there on a bench just waiting to see him that um, we couldn't do much for. Um, uh, Dr. Tom Steele, you'll see he was the dentist, um, that was Christine that was just up there, um, uh, I'll get to her in a second, Dr. Tom Steele, he uh, he had the dental clinic right beside us, and uh, he did a lot of uh, teeth extractions, so we could hear a lot of his patients throughout the day. Um, <laughs> true. Um, Christine worked in the lab, and uh, she said she was stretched a little bit, uh, even though she works at Union Hospital. She did a lot of things that she had never done before. Um, and Carol Rothel and my daughter Jordan, our daughter Jordan, uh, they worked with the kids, um, and there were probably at least 100 kids at all times walking throughout the clinic, and they kind of corralled them and entertained them and played with them, and uh, that was really, really neat to see them doing that. Um, Tanner, Gabe, and Drew, uh, they were transporters. Uh, the people would come in the clinic, and and they'd have to uh, sit and wait. Then they'd have to be moved to triage, then moved to the certain clinics where they needed to go, then uh, either to the pharmacy, um, and then finally to counseling. So they were walking back and forth all day. Um, and is that? Drivers. Oh, yes. And we did want to thank the drivers that took us to and from the airport. They were an integral part of our team. Um, one thing that we did do, one of the very first things we did whenever we got to Peru, we had uh, several thousand invitations to the clinic that we had to go um, all, all around Arequipa and pass out, and um, this was an amazing, amazing thing to get to see. You know, we uh, all broke up into teams, and um, 
I, you know, you see the pictures of poverty everywhere in the world, but until you're really walking through the areas, um, you really never get a true grasp of it. And I'm very thankful even I got to see that and my kids. Um, um, in Arequipa, uh, 20% of the people live in extreme poverty. Um, 30% of the people have no running water in their homes or um, toilets in their homes. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't have roofs or windows in their homes. It's just amazing uh, to really see uh, that type of thing. So that was very eye-opening. Um, so Andy's going to tell how the clinics ran. So just uh, briefly, this was the first time the Medical Mission Outreach has had all four components of its ministry and that was medical, surgical, dental, and eyes. So it was one of their biggest trips to date, and we were just thankful that we could go along. We, uh, as Carla said, worked in the eye clinic, and Medical Mission Outreach had purchased a complete set of used glasses from Lions Club. So when you donate your glasses at your local uh, doctor's office, they're sent to Texas where the Lions Club uh, reads out the prescription and categorizes them and boxes them up, and then mission organizations can get those glasses. And we had about 3,200 pairs of glasses that we took down with us. And we gave out about 1,000, so we left some down there. But uh, um, you would um, look at the patient's prescription and just go and just pray you could find the right prescription. And you'd pull two or three, and usually you'd find one that worked, and you would just see their eyes light up when, when, you, when you found the right pair. Um, so... Um, a couple things that, uh, that God showed me on this trip. Um, um, first of all, uh, MMO uh, really encouraged us all to start a journal um, of you know, fears or concerns or just things we were praying about on the trip that God would do in our life and during the trip and after the trip. And it was funny. I was looking back at my journal at the, uh, you know, that I wrote before the trip of things I was nervous about, and I thought, oh, yeah, I, was, I forgot I was even nervous about that. You know, it, just, it was amazing what God did, things I thought I'd worry about. Um, you know, I just, I didn't at all. So that was all God. Um, and, uh, my friend Jody Weisgarber had been on a trip with MMO before and she said, you're going to be so, so busy. Um, don't forget to stop and look in people's faces. Um, you know, with seeing, you know, 300 people a day in the clinic, she said, don't forget to stop. And the most amazing thing I thought, uh, God allowed us to do in the eye clinic, the very first thing we had to do was get down on people's level and look right in their eyes. And, uh, so I got to do that over and over again. I was very thankful for that. Um, and Andy mentioned a little bit what a joy it was to see people when you put glasses on them for the first time and uh, you almost you jumped up and down and they jumped up and down that was so exciting um and uh one last thing I was so proud of um our children our five kids you know it, it this trip really stretched them it stretched all of us but um you know they had to sleep on the floor in the airport they you know they uh you know it was a long day we worked usually um 10 hours eight to six in the clinic with a 15 minute break that was it um, a couple of them got a little Peruvian stomach flu, but they just kept going, and uh, you know there was no internet, no texting, or no TV. They they just did great. I was just so extremely proud of them. So, a few things God uh, taught me before I went. I was sort of had three prayers. First, that I would uh, come back knowing and loving God more than when I left. Uh, number two, that there'd be a group of Peruvians in heaven worshiping God when when I get there. Uh, because of this trip, and then third, that God would work in the lives of, of our children. And I was just reading my usual um, reading through the Bible in a year on Sunday there, and I was reading in Isaiah, it said, Call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. And I'm always amazed at when I'm, I just seem to be methodically reading through the Bible in a year, how 
randomly God can bring a verse like that um, that really speaks to what we were doing that week. You know, we were calling upon his name. Every morning, Bradley would have a devotion for us uh, to focus our eyes on and what we were doing. And um, he would say, our medicine will run out, our glasses will break or need updated, um, people will get more rotten teeth, um, but the person we treat has a soul that is eternal, and their salvation is something that will never leave them. So he always focused our eyes on Christ. So we just were there to declare his doings among the people. Then they would go to counseling, where they would make mention of that his name is exalted. And every night at dinner, we would sing unto the Lord, for he had done excellent things, and just talk about the, the wonderful things he had done that day. And they says, this is known in all the earth. So just a wonderful verse I had in mind as we were going through. We did see... We had 2,800 patient encounters between all the groups. 975 of those were in the eye clinic, and overall 909 people were saved that week. And and we like to think that those were all the 900 that we saw in the eye clinic, but probably not. But like Carla said, it, you know, you get down and you look in their face and you smile at them, and it's almost like they were ashamed to smile back. You could see hopelessness in their eyes. And the, the Sunday we were back, it was just a perfect worship song. It says, now the, now's the time for us to rise, to carry hope to hopeless eyes, to show this world that it says mercy. I wish it said Jesus, you know, Jesus is alive, because lost doctors go and share mercy. That's just something anyone can do, but to really share Jesus with them really is what was important on this trip. So a great song to sing when we got home, and you could just see that when you looked in their face, and you just were excited that each of them was going to get to hear the gospel after they left the eye clinic. And um, I have one more thing I want to share. Um, whenever we got there, uh, David sat us all down in a big group, and he kind of gave us some uh, you know, do's and don'ts about um, being there. And one thing he said to us, uh, he said, these people are the wonderful, sweetest people in the world. He said, they'll never, you know, they'll never um, hurt you or you know, you know, grab anything from you, but if you leave anything sitting around, it will be gone. They will swipe anything. Um, and uh, anything that's free to them, they will just, they'll, they'll snatch up so fast. We had um, uh, little paper rags that we wiped off all the glasses with, and they were on the table there, and they'd run back and grab those. Or they would, um, you know, if we had tracks that we had sitting out so people could see if their readers worked, they'd run back and grab those. Or we noticed kind of towards the end of the week, um, people were reaching into the boxes at the eye clinic and stealing some glasses. And uh, and our kids, uh, Gabe and Drew, um, brought a whole bunch of candy for the little kids, and they were giving them out, and the adults were grabbing the candy too. So they wanted anything that was free for them. And I think in this in a good way that um, when they were ready to, when they were hearing the gospel and they heard about this free gift, they, they wanted to snatch that up. That was their hope. These are, you know, definitely hopeless, poor, poor people. Um, you know, and I just am reminded of the verse that we all know in Revelations, how we are rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. And, you know, so many people in America, you know, we could go on days and days and months without knowing someone that gets saved and they're just in three and a half days you know seeing that many people just eagerly truly respond to the gospel you know true salvation just to sit there and watch that um that they are just so ready for anything free and it just really moves your heart to those people um so and then one final uh thing uh my last prayer was that our god would work in the lives of our kids and i I think he did that on each of our kids in in different ways and 
I know Tanner was, uh, this is just one example, he was touched um, just after hearing stories of missionaries and, and the wonderful things God does on mission trips. Uh, he was just, uh, um, just blessed to be along and see those awesome miracles that God does and just see God's hand of protection on us as we traveled. And that was uh, a real blessing. So thank you all very much for your prayers and support for the trip. Well, praise the Lord. You know, if, if it hasn't stirred your heart yet, just consider the fact that all of you have unique skills and abilities that you potentially could share and invest in the lives of other people. Certainly here where we live, because this is where we're at all the time, but occasionally on trips like this and let God open your eyes. And so very thankful for all of these that have sacrificed to do this. And, and again, hundreds and hundreds of people that will be in heaven now that otherwise would not be. And, and, you know, maybe God would have used somebody else to witness to those people. I don't know. But because our people were faithful to go, our people get excited about being a part of being blessed and used. And that can be you as well. Well, there's one other trip, the Mongolia trip, and that was not that long ago. So maybe some of you already remember some of that stuff. And a lot of guys went on this trip. A lot of people went on this trip. And so we're just going to call up three to give you the representative sample. Now, they went to go do more physical construction was kind of the main thing, but certainly there was ministry involved as well. And our missionaries there, Mickey and Trina Kofer, have an amazing ministry in a very remote, difficult part of the world that maybe doesn't see the rapid response that Peru does. Nevertheless, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we're going to start with Joel Cramblett. Where's Joel? Come on up, Joel, from the back, okay. And then after Joel, Jeff Gibbs, and after that, Doug Sammons is going to come and share. So the Mongolia trip, I, I think the line that I heard from the Mongolia trip that was the coolest, I'm not sure who to credit it to, said, if we were any further away from home, we'd be closer. <laughs> so that was a good way to start, Joel. Wow, I never stood here before. No, it was a, a very exciting trip. Um, I got to lo- know some of my uh, compadres here quite well. Um, maybe some things I'd like to forget, but some things I will, I will certainly remember forever. Uh, the trip was very um, different in a lot of ways than I expected. Uh, it was different because of we actually, the food that we ate was really good. I had my suitcase packed full of peanuts and granola bars and candy bars because I figured I'd be hungry. But no, it was uh, the thing that really stuck out to me as far as being different than I expected was the fact that wherever you looked, there was like cult worship signs, like the different temples and the shamanisms and, you know, the, the, the whole, you see... I saw more blue rags tied to sticks than I've ever seen in, you know, blue cloth in my life. Um, it was very sad to see that um, because, you know, that's, you know, we, went, we stopped and we saw these different temples that they had, you know, on the sides of hills and on mountaintops. And there was money on the ground there where they were like, you know, sacrificing to their God. They were putting money on the ground. And, and just to see that was very sad because... Um, you know, some of those things, you know, ultimately they're duped into believing something that's not true. And that was very sad. Um, other things that were different were uh, the plush hunting cabin that we were going to stay at that someone told me. Uh, no names mentioned. But no, uh, it, was, it was different than I expected. But looking back, it was really quite an adventure. 
and I enjoyed it and was glad to experience it. Um, I will say that uh, indoor plumbing is nice. <laughs> Just in case you had any second thoughts, it's pretty nice. Um, I was really excited to get to know the Kofers a little better. I mean, I didn't I'd seen them here in passing and never really had any conversations with them, but just to see the work that they have done there, um, you know, just preparing a place for people to come. Um, not sure what all you know. We went to uh, work on a uh, recreation center, and we you know, we poured concrete, and they weatherized the building, and several guys fixed everything that Mickey broke uh, there. Um, <laughs> That was our, our our joke amongst us. Was uh, he's uh, he gets a lot of work done, but uh, he's hard on stuff. Uh, but no, it was. Uh, I think about those people. I think about you know the people that we met there, the people that we had some Mongolians helping us. Uh, you know, we were we had our conc- concrete bucket brigade that carried concrete up two and three f- uh, flights of stairs, and it was. Uh, to get to know them, got to know their names a little bit. You know, the, the, the language barrier was very tough. We had to rely on Jesse or, or uh, Jazaniah to, to communicate for us. But uh, Mongolians like basketball. In case you're not sure, they like basketball and they like to play. But we had our six-foot center, six-foot-five center here that helped sway the tide. But uh, a very beautiful country, very primitive um, but the thing that stuck out most in my mind was just the the cult worship and how they're entrenched in that and how sad it is. It's a very sad, sad thing to, to see. And it really shook me uh, to think about where I live and about people that I see every day. And what am I saying to them? So that's something that that has been working on me since then. And since I've been home, I've thought about it a lot. So, but uh, those of you that prayed for us, I appreciate it. To all of my brothers that I spent time either sweating or being cold in our little gear. Uh, I enjoyed the time. I enjoyed the time of being with, the, with those. And uh, I think that I've been closer to my brothers here that uh, I didn't really know before. And uh, it, was a, it was a great experience uh, to do that. But uh, all that prayed for us, thank you very much. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, I was asked to um, share with you guys the thing that challenged me the most uh, on this trip. And uh, really, I've never done anything like this before. So there was a lot of challenges, um, a lot of small ones, certain people snoring. Uh, the interesting um, bathroom, no, outhouse uh, situation, that was interesting. And, uh, but the biggest thing was um, just stepping out of my comfort zone and uh, going to do something that I would have never thought I would do. Uh, going to a place where I never even thought about very much. Um, Andy had asked uh, me at one point to share my testimony at church on Sunday and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, what if I get up there and I say something dumb? Or at worst, I get up there and, and don't say anything at all, you know? And uh, so my flesh was going, are you crazy? Why did you say yes? <clears throat> and um, I just felt God just tugging at me, just saying, you know what? Uh, just step out. I, I got you, you know? It'll be okay. And 
So I got up there, much like here, only there's a lot more you people. Um, but I got up there and uh, spoke through an interpreter for the first time. That was interesting. And I just let God speak through me, and, and he did what he wanted to do, and it was awesome. And uh, at one point, I started crying. I broke down, and, and I was like, and my flesh was going, see, I told you, you know. And uh, so I, I looked up, and I looked right at uh, Trina Kofer, and she's sitting there with a big smile on her face, just tears running down her face. And uh, I knew it was going to be okay at that point. And I looked around and saw some other people the same way, and I just kept going. And so I finished up, and uh, I think uh, Steve Roth came up and spoke after me. But after the service, there, I was like, there was a ton of people that come up and, and hugged me, and were just, I don't know what they were saying, but they were smiling. <laughs> and so it must have been all right. Uh, so, you know, through all that, uh, God just showed me, <clears throat> and through the preparing for the trip and the plane ride and all that, you know, God just showing me that um, it's okay. I got you. Just step out in faith and trust me and uh, see, what, see what I do. And usually it's not how I expect it to be. And uh, so that, that was my biggest challenge uh, there. And it was just a beautiful place. Um, Mickey and Trina were just awesome uh, hosts. Um, Doug and I fixed, I think we counted, what, 21 different pieces of equipment that broke at one point or another. Um, and I'd worked on stuff that I'd never touched in my life. And uh, it was funny because I was thinking about this the other day. I, I felt like Gilligan to uh, Doug Skipper. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know where I came from. That was just funny. But anyway, uh, thanks for all the prayers, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. He was a great Gilligan, too. You know, they, they asked me to, to talk this morning about what we learned or what was the, what stood out in my mind the most of Mongolia. And uh, for me, I am not a super patient person, you can ask my wife. And for me to sit any length of time, like in an airport, or to be patient walking into a parts counter, asking for parts that I need for something... I'm not super patient with that. I was a flat rate tech for 30 years, and everything is about speed, getting it done now, getting it done now, getting it done now. So whenever we got to Mongolia, um, yeah, it's not like that at all. (laughs) We had, what, a four-hour layover in Seoul, Korea, and we were walking through the, the, the airport, and we were trying to find the Burger King. The only American food that we could see, so we're trying to find the Burger King. And this guy comes walking out, and I go, excuse me. And he gave me that, 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 and kept walking. Wanted no part in letting me know where Burger King was at. Um, so, yeah, we're at uh, Lake Hava School, and Mickey is just tearing equipment up and breaking stuff. And some of this stuff is like, how did you break this? You know, um, so on, I think it was on Wednesday, uh, the, what's 17th, 18th, 19th or the 20th, we needed to go pick up some supplies for things that we needed to fix. So Jeff and I, we finally get Mickey in the truck and we head for the city of Moran or the village. So he's got a, it's a 10 by eight trailer. In the hooked onto the back of his truck, 
And mind you guys, the roads over there are absolutely horrible. Um, commercial drive would be like a four-lane highway to Mongolia. So we're in the truck, and I look down at the speedometer at one point, and we're doing 95 miles an hour. And the roads are like this. Well, he's got this little trailer on the back with nothing on it, right? At one point, I look in the, the rearview mirror, the side mirror, and I see the trailer is in the air, bouncing more than it's on the ground. So we get to Moran, and we go in to pull, we, we go in to get some drywall. And we're, there's some other supplies that we were needing. And trying to find any automotive parts over there is like a needle in a haystack unless it's something Russian or Chinese. So we go into the hardware store. We spent like six hours there looking for just dumb stuff, a hydraulic hose for his dump trailer. I needed a solenoid, and there were some other things. So we, get, we, get, uh, we find some things that are close, right? Some things that are close. And Mickey's like, you can make that work, can't you, brother? You can make that work. And I'm like... Sure, why not? So, after we get the hydraulic hose, which was a power steering hose for a car, um, we get in the truck, we go over to this little, they are Lowe's or Home Depot, and it was nothing like that whatsoever. It was a little shack, and they had just home improvement supplies there, and it was all super cheap Chinese junk. Um, So Mickey pulls off to the side of the road, and the streets are real narrow at the black market, which is kind of like a Randolph or a Roger Sale flea market. So he pulls off to the side of the road, and these people drive like maniacs over there. I don't know if it was like that in Peru, but they are crazy. So... I'm standing there on the side of the road watching him back this trailer up, and people are laying on the horn. He gets out, and he leaves part of the trailer sticking in the road. So as he walks around the truck, he grabs the back end of the trailer and slides it over. And I see the right rear wheel of the trailer just about fall off of it. And I'm like, great. The bearings are wiped out in this thing. What are we going to do now? So, And this is one of the things that Mickey taught me while I was there was the whole faith thing. He looked at me and he goes, brother, he says, we'll be able to find a bearing for this, don't you think? (laughs) Didn't he? I'm like, well, let's see. This is a tractor supply trailer from America in Mongolia. What are the chances of finding a bearing for this thing? Slim to none. So we, we go down the street after they load 40 sheets of drywall on this little trailer. So now it's heavy as can be. The bearings are wiped out on it, and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? So back to the black market, we go for another four and a half hours trying to find a bearing. We sifted through probably 50 tables of junk bearings, bolts, you name it. We were in the middle of it, and Mickey says, now, brother, The way we do things here is we get something that's close. If we find something that's close, we get it. And then if we find something that's even better, we get that then too. 
I found two bearings that were somewhat close, and I'm like, great. Yeah, I hope this fits the axle, because we're talking steel here. We're not talking wood that you can cut off. So we get back over to where the trailer was at. Jeff and I are looking at each other, and I've got some pictures. So if anybody wants to see pictures of Mongolia, um, some of them have been on Facebook, but there's a picture that Mickey took while I was knelt down beside the trailer. Not only was I praying, but I was hoping that this bearing would fit, right? So I look at Jeff, and I'm like, well, we got nothing to lose. We're out in the middle of nowhere. We have a bearing that might fit. So I slide it on the axle. It goes halfway, and that's it. I was ready to curl up in the fetal position in the bed of Mickey's truck. I was so aggravated, and the picture kind of shows that on my face, And I told you, that's the things that I'm not good at is like patience and waiting and going out on faith. So Mickey says, well, I know where there's a machine shop. This guy did some work for us, and he might be able to help us out. So we load up in the truck. We drive all the way to the other side of the city. We go in, and the guy says, through our interpreter, no, the bearing's too hard. I can't put it on my machine to cut it. So I might as well have just had somebody kick me in the chest at that point. I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) I have no more to give right now. I am finished. So Mickey was like, well, he said, we're going to have him make these fittings for the hose that we had to cobble together to fit his trailer. So we go back to where the truck was or the trailer was sitting at. And my next thought was, well, Mickey, let's just leave the trailer here and go back to the camp. He was like, oh, no, brother. He says, if I leave that trailer here, there won't be anything left of it whenever we come back. Because like Peru, Mongolia is the same way. You drop something, kiss it goodbye, it's gone. So we go back over to where the trailer is sitting, jacked up, and it starts to rain with 40 sheets of drywall on the trailer. Yeah, I was definitely at the point. Kick me while I'm down, right? So we get done, or we're back over to the trailer, it starts raining, and I'm like, really, Lord? Really, it's going to rain while I got the trailer tore apart, we don't have a bearing to fit it, and we've got drywall on here. So one of the guys that had this little repair shop that was quite an ordeal too, there was no OSHA regulations there, they were using engine blocks for jack stands, Um, and if you don't get that, ask me about it later. So he has this little cheap Chinese grinder. So he grinds this bearing out for me, and we get it to fit. It fits the axle perfect. Now, mind you, this bearing is this wide. The original bearing was this wide. So there's only like half of the rollers that are catching the race inside of the hub. So we grease it all up. We put it back together, and I told Mickey, I was like, we should be able to make it back to your guys' place with this. And he says, well, I got faith in you, brother. And I'm thinking, well, that's all it's going to be is faith because it's a wonder that the wheel didn't fall off the trailer. Um, So with all that being said, it was all in faith. Everything that we did over there was in faith. Um, I mean, I've got story after story. Whenever the guys, we went up into the mountains and saw some of the, oh, the shaman tribe temples. 
Um, that was kind of an eerie feeling being inside of that thing. And then we all prayed outside of it. This was on Sunday afternoon after church. And after we prayed over this shaman temple, the next morning was whenever we had our huge uh, concrete pour. You guys were pouring, it was like 85, was it 85 yards of concrete? Was that the final total? 35, 35 well, whatever, it was still a five. There was a ton of concrete that they, they, they poured, right? So the next morning we get up and Jeff and I head up to the camp and we're kind of beating ourselves up a little bit because, you know, you could really see the progress of everybody else, the stuff they were doing. Uh, Mark Straits, they were putting plumbing in for uh, some shower stalls, things like that. Dean, they were doing the concrete. And then there's Jeff and I, we've got all this junk equipment that we're trying to fix with no equipment to fix it with. I mean, no electrical terminals. Um, so it was kind of, we were jerry-rigging jerry-rigs, if you will. So the next morning we get up, and this is the last story I have. Next morning we get up, and the electricity is out. So we're like, great. We're in a steel shipping container with all of the tools and not much light in there. The factory had no electricity, and it was cold in there. It was 75 degrees, but it felt like it was 40 inside of this place. We're covered in dirt, grease, dust, you name it, wool powder from the wool factory. And... Uh, so, yeah, there's no electricity. These guys have um, the major concrete pour going on. They've got Andy led the team in the um, log cabin. They had some major work they were doing in there that day, so they needed electricity for air compressors, saws, things like that. And Jeff and I are like, all right, what are we going to fix today whenever we get up here? So we go up. First off, they bring up three wheelbarrows. Wheelbarrows, the wheels were falling off of them. They had one that was broke down completely. So we spend probably a half hour, 45 minutes fixing this. So then the air compressor, I think, took a dive that day. And like he said, it was like 20, 21 to 25 pieces of equipment that we ended up fixing while we were there. And uh, so we get the, the wheelbarrows going, and they come up, and they were like, well, now the air compressor doesn't work. And it was a gas-powered compressor. We had a mixer that was down because it ran off of electricity. And I don't know if it was Joel Cramblett or who it was, but they come walking up with this little scrubby-looking wagon with a generator on it. Was it Derek? It was Derek. Derek comes up and says, hey, can you guys get this generator running? And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, where did you find that at? He says, I don't know. It was back in one of the rooms back there. He says, I don't know if it runs or not. So Jeff and I, we jump into it. We tear the carburetor apart, clean it out fired up, it runs, it starts creating electricity. We're like, cool. So we take it down, we get the other generator or the, the other mixer going for them. And uh, so the whole time that the, the devil was working against us, shutting the electricity off, and they were shutting it off because of maintenance. They were doing maintenance on the lines. We never let that stop us. And with, with God behind you, you can do anything. The verse kept coming through, going through my head. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And that's exactly what was happening while we were there. I mean, it was just like problem after problem after problem hitting us. But we overcame that with the strength of God. And, you know, Mickey come by later. He was like, I said, I said where did they get that generator from? 
He goes, I don't know, brother. I don't even remember having that generator. So it was the mysterious generator that, that showed up out of nowhere. So that was, that was God. I, I honestly believe that was God saying, you know what? You guys are here doing my work. I'm going to help you along with some of these things. So with that being said, I thank all of you that prayed for us while we were in Mongolia. It was quite an experience, as some of the others have said. Um, yeah, the gear tent every morning. Um, I'm surprised they don't have a permanent scar on my forehead. Every morning I would get up and try to get out that little three-foot door and nail my head on the door jam and knock all the supports out of the roof. So it was quite an experience. Yes, we did eat yak and yak yogurt. Um, I don't know if any of the other guys tried to yak milk. I did not. But, uh, but I do want to thank you again for the opportunity that I had to go to Mongolia. And like Jeff said, Whatever your talent or your gift is that, that, that you do for a living or the, the talents that God has given you, they can be used on the missions field. For all those years, I thought, you know what, you're just a dumb mechanic. What can you do on a missions field somewhere? You can't go preach the gospel. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it was using my hands to fix the equipment over there that is what God used me through. And I appreciate that um, and just the opportunity to do that. Amen. Doug was, was the alarm clock for our gear when he would walk out the door and go, ah, when he hit his head. We were like, time to get up, Doug, time to go to work. Um, you've heard the guys talk a lot about some of the conditions. I'm going to work through a few pictures for you. So if you guys are ready, we'll show the first one. A little bit about the working conditions. And at first you may say, oh, that don't look so bad. Uh, but if uh, you look a little closer... Uh, that'll be about two stories up where that hits that. Uh, I think that's Paul on the platform there. Uh, the scaffolding goes from there. Now, if what you know, I don't know if you can see it from there or notice it from there, but the, the last, the outside leg of the scaffolding is actually about three feet off of the rail, supported on that wood that was just lumber we found on the ground, and said, well, I think this will work. So much of the trip, and those were just pine trees uh, that were running across. And then we, we did have a little safety. We did lay that other pine tree against that. Maybe to slide down, I don't know if something went wrong. But it was, every part was a challenge, everything. It wasn't just, hey, let's build some scaffolding so we can do some work, because we still had to go about another uh, floor and a half up above to do some work there. So it wasn't, hey, let's just set up some scaffolding and let's do some work. You really had to, to, to just work through things just to get where you needed to get. Uh, the next one, you've heard about the gear. Uh, this would be a gear. Uh, kind of imagine a TP without being so tall. Uh, everyone in uh, Mongolia is fairly short, which was uh, an awkward two weeks for me, but that was okay. Um, that door was about, it was about a three-foot opening before it went up a foot on the concrete, so that's kind of how you got into the gear. The next picture, I believe, is the inside. So you had about six beds that were wrapped around. You had a firebox in the middle, and the gear would either be 180 degrees or it would be 37 degrees. It was one or the other. It was never... Uh, anywhere in the middle. It would be so hot, we'd open the door, and then it'd be so cold, we'd huddle all together and just think we're going to freeze to death, you know. And, and so it, was, it, was, it changed a lot. The beds uh, were very low to the ground. Uh, on me, the bed stopped about right here, which was very comfortable for two weeks. Uh, I, I thank you that you guys haven't surfaced the picture. They got me sleeping, and my head was kind of wedged in, and my feet were wedged back, but, but we made it work. So it was very small, not very tall. You kind of walked around. Uh, low. They're probably gone by now, but you can tell everybody who went on the Mongolia trip by the large knot that's on top of their head uh, from everything that they would run into. Everything was, was very low. What's the next picture uh, that we have? Yeah, this was at church on Sunday. We really did have an in, 
just an incredible service on that Sunday morning. If, uh, if you can picture a, a town or a village in a valley and, and just see a bunch of different colored roofs and, and differently designed and built houses, however they would make them, and then you kind of see a round place in the center of that town, and that being the church uh, that Mickey and Trina have there. We were at that church on Sunday morning, and we had an opportunity to share testimonies and had an opportunity to share the gospel uh, with everybody there. There were uh, believers that were there, probably 30, 20, maybe 30 to 40 uh, there at the church that, that attended regularly. There were some that had come in uh, just for that day that had never been there before. And these are some of the faithful folks of Mickey and Trina's church, and they certainly wanted to get in and, and get a picture with everybody. They liked uh, pictures and, and all that. Next slide, uh, just one more picture of a little bit of how they dress for a Sunday, what it looks like, um, just solid wood walls. Next slide uh, is, yeah, so that was pretty much how it was uh, for three weeks. So it was, it was very awkward. Uh, it, was, it was odd. They, they, if, if I didn't scare anybody away, I actually got to talk to them. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that's, that's funny. You can keep going. Uh, next slide. Okay, this is, uh, if you look real close, there's four people on that motorcycle. Uh, we call this the Mongolian church bus. And so they would hold as many as five. I think we saw as many as five on one bike. Uh, and this was very common. This was how they traveled. No big deal at all. Uh, they actually had fun doing that. Next slide, what do we have? We talked about working inside the, the, the building. And there were several buildings. We were working on a cabin. We were working on this facility. Uh, we were working in several areas. So we poured concrete above that and uh, even a floor above that one in that building. That is where the gym is going to be. And what we were able to do in this building is, uh, this was kind of when we got there before we'd really done anything. Um, that's going to be a basketball court. And, um, oh, yeah, excellent. Uh, we were playing basketball. What we did, uh, if you notice from the last picture, if you go back to the last picture, and then back again if you look at the floor, uh, we were able to put down some three-quarter tongue-and-groove plywood, which really helped. Before, it was just rough-cut lumber on the floor. So you'd bounce a basketball, and it may go that way three feet, you know, just <laughs> depended on how it landed. And so uh, we had some guys really work hard and, uh, and get that floor down, which was huge. And then they'll look for an actual gym floor that's going to go on top of that. So that's inside the building uh, where we spent a lot of time. Uh, concrete was poured on the other side of those rails on the second floor that you'll see. And that building actually goes up two more flights even above that where they poured on the third floor of that building. And that was one of the areas we worked. Next slide. Uh, yeah, and one of the uh, traveling days that we had, that's Lake Hobscall there. A uh, huge, huge lake, just an incredible lake, clearest lake I've ever seen, uh, coldest lake I've ever uh, felt as well. But idol worship is very, very big in Mongolia. And when we were there, there were individuals that would come in, and they had, I think it was goat's milk or, or yak milk or something, and they would pour it over those rocks asking for those, those poles to bless them, basically. And those, they each represented different things and asked for, for blessing from there. And we have a few more pictures. You can just keep scrolling through them as I'm kind of laying out. If you would, um, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That was all intro, so let's get ready to, to do a little study. Now we're going to wrap up real fast here. Um, it really is incredible. Uh, as you're opening your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you to write down a name. Uh, and don't try to write it before I spell it to you. It's a little different. I'm going to ask you to write down the name Ayun. A-Y-U-N-E. A-Y-U-N-E, Ayun. If you'll write that in your Bible, if you'll write it just somewhere significant where you'll see it. If you don't have anything, write it on your hand. That'll be just fine until you get home, and uh, you can get it uh, on paper from there. But Ayun, A-U-Y-N-E. We're going to talk about her in just a few moments. But yeah, at this point of the service... Uh, you've heard stories uh, from, from Peru, from Mongolia. We, we've been in Dominican. And, and there may be some that ask, you know, why in the world do we do that? Why would we spend a good portion of the summer 
going to different places, going to these to these people groups and, and, and doing medical work or, or construction. or you know, Why would we do that? And I really, I'll tell you, you, you know, you, you travel for days, you, you sleep on a piece of plywood, you, you work 10, 12 hours a day, whatever you can. Uh, it's a fair question. Why would you do that? Why would you go there? And I love uh, what Paul says as he's writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. Um, uh, we'll, we'll start in 18. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As I think about verse 18, and this really challenged me several years ago, and, and when I think about mission work, especially in the short-term world, and, and, and packing up, and, and I mean, it costs, boy, it costs finances, it costs resources, it costs time, it costs your vacation. Instead of going to the beach somewhere, man, you're, you're going to, to Mongolia, or you're going to Peru, it, there's a cost that's associated with it. Why would we do that? To make known the mystery of the gospel. And the gospel is a mystery. It's, it's a mystery to many. It's especially a mystery to this lady. She's in the middle there. Uh, that's Trina on the left. There was a, a member of the church kind of translated on the right. Uh, the lady in the middle's name's Ioun. The gospel is a mystery to her. A complete mystery. Ioun practices shamanism. And, and shamanism is a, is a cult where... An individual would, would go into a trance state and they would try to summon a spirit. And they believed, the shamans believed, that one of two spirits would come and see you. Either a friendly, benevolent spirit would come and visit you while you're in that trance, or a very aggravated, violent spirit would come and visit you. Nothing in the middle. Uh, it was either really good or really bad. And so you were kind of playing the, the lottery in their world of, of who would come and see you. And I certainly believed that, and she believed in that ritual. In fact, I had never been to the, to the church before, and, and she came in during the middle of our service. Uh, I didn't know she was there. As we said, we had some guys have an opportunity to, give a, to share their testimonies. I was able to, to preach for a few minutes, and at some point in the service, she came in um, in a kind of a, in a, a panic uh, out of breath, ran, as Trina told me, kind of ran to church and, and came in that day. Uh, basically what had happened is uh, she lives in that shamanism world and she summoned a spirit that was not very friendly, uh, according to her words. Now, uh, not very nice uh, spirit. Now, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, maybe it was because it got her into church that day. I don't know. But something scared her and she just knew to come here. And she landed in there and we talked about many things. We shared a lot of stories and a lot of testimonies. And just at one brief point in the, in the service, I said something like, you know, accepting Christ doesn't cost you a thing. And now that really collided with her world, messed her world up, because, because in the world of shamanism, everything costs money. You want to get better, you pay money. You want to be blessed, you pay money. You want this, you pay money. You need help, you pay money. And then all of a sudden, there's this group of people here saying that the love of, of Christ costs you nothing. Man, that was a mystery to her. We went through the service, we went, and uh, after church was over, we were kind of looking around. I was upstairs with Mickey, he was showing me some stuff, and, and Trina came up and said, you've got to come outside, you've got to talk to this lady. 
I said, okay, that's absolutely, I'd love to. So we go outside, that's the church uh, there that you can see. So we're outside talking and, and probably shared with her for maybe close to an hour. I don't know, it may have been 30 minutes, 45, I don't really know. Uh, we were just in, just in this, this conversation and, and she just could not grasp that it was free. She could not grasp that all of a sudden somebody's come into her village, into her town and said, man, you can have Christ and it won't cost you a thing. She wanted so bad to accept that. Listen, this just, I'm telling you, this, this messes me up. It breaks my heart. She wanted so bad to accept it. And she told me, she said, I want so bad to accept this Jesus. I want so bad to accept this one that you're talking about into my life. She says, but I can't. Because I have these idols at home. And now these are real things that she would pray to and bow down to. Real statues, figures. She says, I have these idols in my home and you don't understand. If I accept this Jesus that that, that costs nothing, these idols will hurt me physically. They will destroy me. I want so bad to do that, but I can't because of these idols. And I said over and over, I own you don't understand. They're just, they're just things. They're, they're nothing. They're just objects. Man, Christ in you will be greater than any object that you have in your house. She wanted to. And I wish I sat here today and said, man, we had this glorious thing happen. She accepted Christ that day and her life was changed. But it's not the case. She said, I just can't. My idols, you don't understand what they'll do to me if I do this. And I thought about that. And I became somewhat critical. And I thought, how foolish. How silly that this lady's going to let these idols put her in eternal hell. How silly she would let these small idols separate her from God and not accept God. How foolish, how silly. And you may be sitting here today and you say, yeah, boy, that is. That's just, that's, that's, why, that's, that's, that's so foolish. That's stupid. Why would she let that happen? Man, and here's where God spoke to me, right here at this intersection. He said, Andy, it's no different back home. Your idols just look a little different than hers. I believe we come to church, man, and we, and we do love God. But what I want to challenge you with today, and one, if you don't know Christ, maybe you've come in today, and this is kind of a mystery to you. Maybe you've walked in here today for the first time or second time, and you're like, man, I cannot believe they're devoting a whole service just talking about where they went and what they did. And we've got to make known the mystery of the gospel. And maybe it's a mystery to you today, and you, and you think, why would they do that? Maybe you don't know Christ. Man, your idols may not look like Ions, but man, I'll tell you like I told her, the only way to get all of that out is to get Christ in. If you're sitting in this church today, if it's your first time here, second time, if you've come here for 20 years, man, I'm asking you, do you know him as Lord? Do you know him as Savior? You may not go home and bow to some idol, but is anything stopping you? from knowing Christ? Is anything stopping you from knowing Him as Lord?
as we were talking with Ioun, and after she left and she promised she would go back to church that Sunday, and I do have some, some encouraging news. Uh, they were able to go. We left on that Thursday, I think Friday. Mickey and Trina were able to go to her house and talk to her. And she covered up with blankets. She covered her idols up while they were talking. That way they wouldn't see, you know, what was happening. So, so the seed has definitely been placed. You know, the seed has definitely been, been planted there, and the work continues with her. But that Sunday after we were done talking, Mickey pulled me aside. He said, man, you have, you have no idea who that lady is. That lady in the middle, he said, you have no idea who you were talking to. And I'm like, yeah, Mickey, I don't know. They just said, come down and talk to this lady. There are 18 shaman families left in the world. People will travel all over the world to see these 18 shaman families that are left, these true blood shaman families. And that lady in the middle is one of them. She was one of them. We were talking. Man, the, the, the providence of God, the timing of God for us to go on a day where a demon would scare her in a church and she would hear some big old goofy guy say, man, Jesus costs nothing for you. God's timing is absolutely incredible. It really is. And I pray, man, I want you to pray for her, for her salvation, man, that God, man, that, that God is there, man. He is, he is ready to accept her and receive her. But she's got to get those idols out of her life. She's got to get them gone. And just pray, man, that, that God becomes greater to her than any of those idols that are there. And again, I just want to ask you the question. Maybe you're in the same place as her. Maybe you just got some things in your way. Maybe you don't know Christ, and, and maybe he has called you, and you've just said, you know, I just can't right now because of this, because of that. Those are idols. And the, the Word of God says in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a one in here that, that, that deserves to know God, that deserves to spend an eternity with him. We were in Ephesians. I like a few chapters back in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, for by grace... Are you saved through faith? And it's not of yourselves. I can't do anything. You can't do anything to, to deserve and to work the love of Christ in your life. But you surely through faith can accept him as Lord. So I want to encourage you again today. If you don't know Christ, boy, I come to know him today. I think there's a whole other host of other people in here that, that you say, man, I know Christ. I'm following him. But maybe we find ourselves a little like I am. Maybe there's just some idols stopping us from doing what we need to do in our life. Maybe God's been calling you to do some stuff. Maybe he's calling you, man, I need, to, I need to take a trip. I need to go. I need to invest. I need to do it. Man, I, I need to become a part of that. But I just can't because of this and this. Man, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Make God greater in your life. Man, get that stuff out of your life, out of your world. We've got this one life to live for Christ. Now, again, our idols may look different than we'll find in Mongolia or anywhere else. Our idols are sometimes stuff, schedules. But you've got this one life to live for Christ. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't let anything hold you back, man. If God's calling you, in your life, whether it's the salvation, man, it's seal it up today. Man, if God's calling you, you already follow Christ. And he's calling you to do some bigger things in your life, in your Christian walk. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let anything hold you back. Man, take that step. Earlier in the service, we had a connection card. And we said, hey, if you have a chance, fill that out. Well, I want to encourage you today. 
In a minute, we're going to take those connection cards out. Maybe you need to know Christ, man. Maybe you need to receive Christ. First thing I'm going to say is this, man. If you're bold enough and you say, man, I want to know Christ, come find me. Come find me after church. Anybody that was up on this, this platform today, they will certainly help you. But maybe you just want to talk to somebody, man. Write on that connection card. Hey, man, I just I want to talk to somebody. What it means to know Christ and what it means to, to have him as, as Lord in my life. And we'll certainly follow up and talk to you about that. Maybe on that connection card, man, God's calling you to do some things, which, man, you've just got some idols and they've got to get gone, and you need some prayer with that and some encouragement with that. Well, we'd love to help you there as well. I pray everything that's been done today, everything we've talked about, boy, it, it, the goal is that it all points to Christ. Man, the gospel is a mystery to many. It's a mystery to some uh, here in, in New Philadelphia and Ohio, and it's, it's certainly a mystery to, to large people groups across the world. And, and if you're not involved in some way on a local level and, and on a global level, I want to encourage you today to be involved because God will do not only incredible things through your life, but you never know, all in God's timing, he may have you talk to somebody who's just one of 18 families left in the world that has an opportunity, if she accepts Christ, to, to impact that whole people group that's left. You never, ever know what God will do with you if you just simply say, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we do come.